Welcome to Homeschool Musings. This is Mina, your host, where we dive into all things homeschool, curriculum, philosophy, poetry, daily reflections, and so much more. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, and today we have joining with us Dr. Craig Beal. He is the author of several books and has created a course called Unbreakable Faith, and you can find that on pilgrimsrock.com. It's all based on apologetics, and so today we are going to dive into apologetics and why it's so crucial, especially in the homeschooling family unit from a Christian worldview. So welcome, Craig. Thanks to have you with us. Well, delighted to be here, Mina. Wonderful. So anything you'd like to add to kind of just a little more about your books, what you do, your course you created? Well, the course that we offer on Pilgrim's Rock is the culmination of many years of teaching this course, both at the college and seminary level, as well as in churches. And I had the notes and I decided it would be more effective to multiply my presence and having the course taught to put it on video so that it could be taught without me having to do it live. And so we decided to record all the lectures and I decided to take all the notes and put them into book form. And so I I wrote the box, which is sort of a simplified application of the principle that we teach in Unbreakable Faith. And God, the reason is really the course notes expanded and of course cleaned up and put together so it can be an ongoing useful tool to to believers. And so it's a combination of a presuppositional approach. It's heavily theological. It's rooted in the attributes of God and how you build a coherent, defensible Christian worldview based upon the infinite excellence of God's attributes. And it incorporates a lot of Jonathan Edwards in there as well. So it's a very it's designed to be a blessing to the heart and soul, as well as to strengthen and embolden and boost and immunize faith against unbelief and the unbelieving arguments that are supposedly sophisticated. And on one level, they are, but on a presuppositional level, they're very, very simplistic, irrational, and founded on blind faith. And once somebody understands how to see that, it makes life quite a bit easier in dealing with unbelief. And, you know, gives us greater assurance in the truthfulness of Scripture, the trustworthiness of Scripture, Christ, the gospel. And it helps us to engage with unbelievers with more grace, more love, without being intimidated because we can see through their arguments that they're speaking from a position of great human limitations, speaking of ultimate realities when they don't even know what's in their neighbor's garage. So that's kind of the genesis of it all. And we have a passion for homeschoolers. We know that they're committed to raising up their kids, the fear and admonition of the Lord. And and we want those kids and parents and adults, adults are the people who view the course the most, actually, and to be prepared. And especially if they go away to college to not be shipwrecked in their faith because professors attack their faith and attack it in a way that they may be unprepared for. And so what we want to do is make them prepared for that so that they can not only withstand it, but also speak to the heart of the professor and show them where they need a savior as well. So yeah, excellent. Yeah. As someone who's personally taken your course, I know it's helped me greatly, especially in my walk with Christ. And for our listeners out there, I know there's a lot of people who are either new believers or they just haven't been discipled. What would you, in a very simple way, how would you explain what apologetics is from just a very simple point of view? Well, apologetics comes from the Greek term apologia, which is defense. So it's a defense of the faith. And this particular approach is both defense and proclamation of the faith. 
So in defending the faith, we proclaim Christ, their need of a Savior. So it's showing the reasonableness of faith. It's showing, we have a webinar on this, that's showing how everything in the universe supports the Christian worldview, how nothing in the universe supports the unbelieving worldview that everything came from time, chance, and nothing. So that, but the, in a nutshell, it's defending the faith and proclaiming the faith. Yeah, and I love how you break it down at the foundational level, you know, when you really dive into the course and how you teach it, how it really is actually simple. I think oftentimes people, they they think it's this huge complex thing. And really, you just, especially in the box, I think that's a great witnessing tool to even send to people of, you know, just how simple it can be broken down. It's like, everyone has faith. It's just, what is your faith in? And it's like this inherent thing that God gives us faith. It's just where are you choosing to believe? in his word and in his sovereignty? Or are you choosing to believe in whatever false deception you've been taught or chosen? So I wanted to ask you, why do you think, especially now, you know, I know my own thoughts is more and more children that are raised supposedly in the faith, it's just the statistics are staggering at how many kids leave the faith once they are out of the home. And so would you say that that's really important to be teaching apologetics, even just from a young age? your children and always giving them reason for the Christian worldview in this rational way so that then they can be prepared. Absolutely. And the parents should be eminently, eminently prepared. And so that in their interaction with their children, that they are always reflecting these perspectives. So when, when arguments come their way or when children see certain things or when children have their ubiquitous questions, why this, why that, the parents are able to respond in a way that builds up their ability to think in a very strategic Christian way and not just have pat answers, those pat answers that if they're not fully developed and understood as to why those answers are correct and why the alternatives are wrong and unsupportable, then when they get to college, the pat answers don't work because the professors will ask them for reasons behind the pat answers and the children are not always prepared that way. So so the course is geared towards really teaching the worldview to the parents mm-hmm. as well, so that in each particular challenge or types of challenge that comes to the faith, the parents are prepared and they're able to inculcate that into the children from a very, very young age. And it should be taught from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And it is simple, but I'm glad you say it's simple. It took a lot of work to get it simple <laughs> because <laughs> it, there, yeah. there's some very sophisticated underlying principles that are in this this particular method. For instance, Cornelius Van Til, who I draw upon greatly, uh, he's almost unintelligible, even to PhD students. So, But he's brilliant. And Francis Schaeffer's brilliant. And Edwards is brilliant. But simplifying it and getting it to the place where we see, you know, in the beginning, God is the only proper starting point for right thinking yeah. is very important. And to get that into kids young, absolutely, it's the most important thing you can do for your kids. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, no, I really agree. And um, when I was a new believer, I had started to look up apologetics because me coming out of the new age and just a lot of false deception I was involved in, you know, God showed me in his word, all these verses, and I wanted to overly complicate it and trying to witness to, you know, friends and family members, and just simplifying it on that point of, oh, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily if you start getting into the there's a verse for everything where it's like, no, to challenge their what's belief based on and their faith based on. And I think the box really 
goes into just being able to simplify it for people to understand. And even someone as young as like, you know, a five-year-old, and I know I've been able to help, you know, my kids. Sometimes I think because of what I was involved in, we just happen to have apologetics courses almost every day, all day based on things, but it's like, they know, they just, they already know. And so what would be a tip that you would give kind of according to age, like an example of even just a small child, like really raising them with an understanding and just a practical tip you could give them when they start to question or if they see something that could be contradictory to the faith? Would you bring it back to the Bible or would you bring it back to faith or all of the above? Well, this particular approach always begins with scripture and theology. So it's it's really an apologetic slash theology course. And really, it's a subset of a theology course. So it is really ultimately theology. So everything needs to be brought back to God created us. Apart from him, we have nothing. To him, we owe everything because apart from him, we don't exist or have anything. Every good thing comes from him. And apart from him, we really can't know anything because number one, he gave us the ability to know. He created us in his image. Number two, he's the source of all truth and knowledge. So apart from him, we can speculate, we can guess, but God's the one who knows everything. So I think the best place to start with a child is to start with the attributes of God as the creator, sustainer, upholder of all things, source of all things, including knowledge, truth, and authority, as you can break those down as they ask their questions. Well, how can we know that? You know, and well, God knows that. Well, well, how does God know? Well, God knows everything. So really at a young age, starting with the attributes and beginning the attributes with God as the creator and sustainer of everything. That's the, that's the starting point. And that should be the starting point of every believer yeah. in yeah. every encounter, because yeah. apart from that, right. we're left with nothing, just a bunch right. of opinions floating yeah. around. And nobody's more authoritative than anybody else. We're all equally limited and ignorant apart from God. So. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've gotten into many discussions. And one question I had for you is, how do you go to approach someone who, for example, we're seeing a huge just switch in new ageism, you know, even in the supposed Christian church where it's like, you know, doctrines are just all across the board. And so how do you, when someone, they don't necessarily deny God, so you're not dealing with the atheist or the agnostic, but you're dealing with someone who, oh no, God is real, but they're perception of who God is, or even being created by an intelligent being, they are questioning, you know, where do you break that down on the apologetic level? Well, a couple of things. First of all, understanding the nature of the heart is critical. Mm -hmm. And so they need open eyes and and only God can do that. So, so it always requires a prayerful approach. God, please open their eyes to see the truth because we were blind. I once was blind, but now I see God is the one who opens eyes. So always begins with prayer. It begins with a love and a heartfelt concern for that individual. That has to be paramount. They have to know that that's true. It can't be phony and false. And then three, when they start talking about, well, I think God this, or I think ultimate reality is this, or I think, you know, all things are God, or, well, then the next question is, and this is a question that gets to the heart of every pronouncement of any unbeliever with respect to anything is, how do you know? So how do we know? Well, somebody over here says God is everything. Somebody over here says that crystals do this and that and the other. Somebody over here says that nobody gets judged and there's no such thing as hell. You know, the John Lennon imagined there's no heaven and hell. Well, there's a lot of conflicting voices out there. And new ageism is, is one of those 
conflicting voices and, and, and it has its own shades and colors. So the question becomes, well, how do we know what is true of all this cacophony of conflicting voices? And the answer is, if it's ultimate, we're dealing with ultimate realities here. And if the God who is behind these ultimate realities doesn't tell us the ultimate answers to these things, we're stuck with 7.2 billion opinions of 7.2 billion people who are limited to three or four dimensions, don't know the contents of their neighbor's garage. They're equally inadequate to the task. And so do I believe Mary, John, or Joe? Do I believe universalists? Do I believe the, you know, you name it. Well, God is the one who made us. This is getting back to the starting point again. He created us. He made us in his image. He created reality. Reality is how he designed it and for his purposes. And how do we know why we're here, where we're going, and what he expects of us? He has to tell us. And if we don't go there, we're left with nothing because 7.2 billion opinions reduces to pure relativism. And from pure relativism, you end up with pure skepticism, meaning nobody can know anything. It's just your word against my word. Neither one of us have any authority to know the ultimate nature of reality. So really for for new agers and, and dealing with anybody that comes and has a sort of preconceived idea of the nature of ultimate reality, which is what new ageism is, the question has to become based on what and how do you know that that is true? And are you willing to risk your eternal destiny on your own personal opinion and suppositions and assumptions about ultimate reality of which you have no definitive authoritative proof or source of authority or source of truth to go and to know for sure that it is true. I mean, it's really quite a risk. And in other words, am I willing, and this is the question you ask the person in the new age, are you willing to risk your eternal destiny on your opinions? And then after you've sort of established their, their need for ultimate authority, you can always go to the point of showing them that, look, God has made these things clear. There's no unbelief is culpable because all the universe, Romans 1, 18 and following, Acts 14, Psalm 19, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, all the food on our table, he's declared his goodness, everything declares his genius and power. And we're not without excuse and understanding. Go to Acts 17, Paul at Mars Hill, you know, you guys should know better. So there's always that next step where we can graciously and kindly show you know, God has made it very clear who he is. And then the pièce de résistance, of course, he has become one of us and he has revealed himself clearly, profoundly. He's revealed his justice, his love, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, all in the person of Jesus Christ. And if they want to say, well, I believe Jesus is this, that, or the other. Again, we're back to the epistemology of how do you know? Well, we know what he is, what he did, what he accomplished on our behalf and how that becomes ours Mm -hmm. through scripture. And so we really, that's the ultimate end game is to get them to see their inadequacy, their need and dependence upon God's revelation, which is scripture and ultimately Christ as savior that they might be redeemed in their mind, in their heart, according, you know, from their sin, that they might see reality according to God's way and not the various gurus of new age Mm -hmm. thinking. Yeah. which is really nothing more than human opinion. Right. Yeah. So you can, with certain people, you could probably end up just going in circles of conversation over and over until God really softens their heart and just continue in prayer. 
because it kind of comes down to where it's like all about their experience. You know, when you're questioning people, oftentimes I think that's one of the biggest things right now is, oh, well, I feel this way or I had this experience. And it's like, well, how do you know that experience is actually real? You know, did you, you know, so really just trying to shatter that to get them to, you know, ultimately that's where salvation begins is at that bottom of self to recognize your desperate need for your savior. So, yeah. and their feelings, everybody has faith, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and they're placing their faith and trust with respect to eternal realities, their own soul, their own need of a savior Yeah. and feelings. And, and, if there's anything in this world that isn't trustworthy, it's our feelings. Right. So, right. I mean, are they really the going to trust? I mean, I felt like, you know, shooting that guy in the freeway last week or whatever. Am I going to trust that for my eternal destiny? Or oh, that's probably a crummy example. But but there's mm-hmm. we can multiply examples of how right. feelings are just wrong. Yeah. You know, that old song, if loving you is, what is it? Nothing. I guess it was a Christian song where... This has to be right because it feels so right. You are my, what is that song? I can't remember what it is. Something very popular for a while. But it has some pretty bad theology in there. Feelings have to be brought under the scrutiny of truth and God's truth. You know, you can throw feelings in there in the garden that partially partially got us where we are in terms of the mess we're in. Right, exactly. I also wanted to dive in today to ask you, when do you find you know, you have this passion for reaching the homeschooled family, especially because really most homeschoolers are, you know, there are some secular homeschoolers out there, but most choose to homeschool because of their faith and they feel convicted from God to do that. Would you suggest that because your course and your book, like you said, it's really, you know, high school students can take it, but would you suggest doing it as a family unit, even starting even in middle school or waiting until and having someone do it kind of on their own? Well, we very often have families doing it together, and I highly recommend that. It, yeah. it, it opens up the forum yeah. for questions and give and take. And so families should, because again, the parents need to grasp this and understand this. And parents, homeschooling parents are very, very wise and knowledgeable people, and they're committed people. But the most committed people I meet, this is, this is, I didn't understand this particular approach until I got into my PhD studies. And I went to four years at Dallas Seminary and never, never was confronted with it there. And that's a great school. But mm-hmm. so parents need to understand and they don't, and students are the same way. They, they, they hear three or four lectures saying, I get this. I, I understand that. It's so basic. Well, they don't because just trust me, they don't. <laughs> Most of the time they don't yeah. because there's there's a way of understanding basic principles, but then there's also understanding how those basic principles interact with anything and everything in the universe, every issue, every question, and how it's all interrelated and how it all gets back to our dependence upon God. And if a family can sit together and start working through these things and the parents can start inculcating it and understanding it, then that, that can be a very formidable sort of approach to build them all up because really the kids the strength of the child's faith is going to be directly impacted by the strength of the parents faith Mm -hmm. and the parents ability to articulate these things and to show the answers to the tough questions and why certain things are the way they are and how it's rationally coherent and how it's reasonable and logical and not just well just believe it well you know the whys have to be answered and a family taking this together can better 
get to that place and certainly prepares the parents to more adequately answer the questions of the kids as they, you know, continue to grow and even as they get to college and beyond. Yeah. So that's the way it's supposed to work. And that's the right. way I know they want it to work because that's why they homeschool. Right. So. Yeah. Great. I also wanted to ask what, you know, I realize it, it's a sensitive thing and really it just requires having that relationship with Christ. But oftentimes, sometimes you see in different churches or in homeschool families, you're raising your children in a faith. So where is the balance between being an apologist and defending the faith without entering into that self-righteousness kind of judgmental? Well, they're just wrong all the time. It's a really sensitive line to walk. And what are some tips you would have to stewarding the children that God has put in the home to, you know, so that you're not raising, you know, because sometimes I know even myself, my kids, you know, because of what I came out of, I'm just so quick to this is wrong and this is why and give them the reason and then finding that balance. Oh, but we still need to love them. We still need to pray for them. So where is that balance? That is a great question. And as you know, in the course, I spend one of the one of the three introductory lectures is on that particular point. So there's two two extreme errors that I confront, one being, you know, head without the heart and the other being heart without the head. Um, So extreme emotionalism. Edwards dealt with this in The Great Awakening. And then the other being just pure intellectual exercise without the heart. Well, the cure, and we know that knowledge puffs up, and I deal with this, and I think I even quote several verses to this effect. Knowledge only puffs up when it's knowledge without love. And it's knowledge without humility. And the way to deal with knowledge such such that it's knowledge with humility is to understand the infinite greatness and power and glory of God and our utter unworthiness, our utter inability to know anything, do anything, to even exist, let alone be redeemed by the infinite excellence of the work of Christ, Mm -hmm. apart from God initiating it and doing it on our behalf, despite who we were and what we were doing, and despite our wicked heart that was going the other way. So apologetics done divorced from the heart and soul of the gospel, I think, can be very, very problematic because it isn't about winning an argument. It's about ultimately sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ, that these people might come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and we can win an argument and lose the war by our crummy attitude. And and as I say in the course, that second to the witness of Scripture and the truth of Scripture, our own manifestation of Christ in our life as we interact with unbelievers is, you know, the the message we bring. And that second to Scripture, some people try and get that over and above Scripture, we don't have to speak truth. No, truth first. But truth always with love and truth without love, we're a noisy gong. And as I say in the book, God the Reason, you don't approach a Christian banging on a garbage can lid in the old days, right? They were metal. And say, hey, you know, we're going to win you to Christ by making a lot of noise and being obnoxious and being arrogant. They have to know we love them and they have to believe that we, if we say we're saved by grace, well, they better see that in our heart because if we're arrogant, we're denying the fact that we're saved by grace. We're, we're actually giving them the message that somehow we're saved because we're so smart and we so figured it out. When the truth of the matter is we figured nothing out. God opened our eyes and to see the glory of this truth. So great question. Yeah. And, you know, I try very self-consciously to make that a key issue throughout the course. That yeah. We better be humbled before this infinitely excellent, yeah. glorious God. Yeah. So great question. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a, it's really a heart relationship. And like you said, being in that 
continual, you know, basically just that awe of the creator. And that's like one thing that, you know, when you look into Romans and it's like, no one is without excuse. That's how I've been able to witness effectively to a few of my past new age friends who almost like they worship the creation rather than the creator. And they want to not believe in hell. And I go look at this world, you know, nature is very dualistic. You know, you have baby turtles that hatch out of their shells and instantly things are trying to eat them and kill them. And it's just so harsh. It's not for us to understand why there's a harshness, you know, and no one wants to understand like, oh, hell is a real place, but it is. And I think that's one of the biggest turtles I find in my witness to, especially being in Hawaii, there's just a lot of, they don't want to believe in eternal consequence. And Mm -hmm trying to witness to those people of look like there is a harshness out there. So we might not understand why there is, but the Bible tells us that there is, he created it this way, you know, and then you can dive into, like you said, all the theology of it, but getting them to understand where that's kind of my one friend, I keep praying for her. And I know our conversations and that then that opens up to apologetics. Sometimes you're not, it's not going to be just this quick. I think a lot of times people want, oh, I'm just going to go win this soul to Christ and it's instantaneous. Mm -hmm. That seed needs to be planted and watered and tended. And then God will give the increase in his perfect timing. And that sometimes I'm sure you have had many conversations with people where is that part of where you would raise your children and understanding it's about having patience and just continuing to witness in that daily walk every time you see that person continue to witness kind of like your box conversation it's like his neighbor he was always talking to him over and over and over again until the view started to shift and you could kind of see his heart soften yeah and that's that's an excellent point and I, I would add that in dealing with the harshness of the world and it is indeed harsh mm-hmm. and the question is why is it harsh if God is so good Mm-hmm. And that that brings us to the need of the gospel, because the reason it's harsh is because it's cursed because of sin. And, you know, one philosopher put it this way. He said, if if the way the world is now is normative, and that's how God made it normative, sort of a theistic evolution sort of thing, where God uses death to ultimately bring about the human race. Well, that that really, according to this unbelieving philosopher, says, well, then God is the devil, because death is horrible. And if you've ever been to a movie and watched the dog get hit by the car or the deer get eaten by the lion, it's horrible. It's horrific. Or even the fox eating the rabbit. We see that around here at our house. And the screams are just horrible. And if this is normative, uh, God God is evil because it's not normative. I deal with death. I'm a hospice chaplain. I deal with that quite often. This is a curse. And God will take death and throw it into the lake of fire. The last enemy is death, and it will be banished forever. There will be no longer death. Why? Because God is restoring things to beyond pristine conditions, to glorious conditions purchased by the infinite merit of Christ. So it's going to be more glorious than the garden, infinitely so. But death will be done away. So, yes, the harshness of the world, and it's horrible, you know, like the turtle illustration. It is horrible. These innocent little things, and here comes the bird, and boom, they're gone. Well, what is that? Well, creation groans, Romans 8. Creation is messed up, and man messed it up. Satan messed it up first, and he came in and had us join in, and we messed up. The, the creation was messed up by us because God said, because of what you've done. And But he's made it right through Christ. So even you know the problem of evil that you know that we get into that and God the reason extensively and I think there's an answer to it. I mean it's not the answer that's normally given, but there is an answer. 
and it has to do with our limitations and God's infinite goodness in Christ, and that there's aspects of it we're never going to know, and we have to be content with not being God and having all the answers. But with your new age friend, yeah, you can just to take that and run with it a little bit. You can take anything and everything that's in the world as we see it, and it's a launch pad to the gospel. Even the death of that poor little turtle or the death of that rabbit in the backyard or or whatever it is. I mean, the world is screaming God's existence, but it's also screaming the fall and something isn't right. And it's not God that isn't right because he came down in Christ to show that he's perfectly holy and righteous and just, and he had to go the infinite extent to uphold it in order to even save us. But wow, where did that come from? Well, we know where it comes from. When somebody shoots their neighbor, who pulled the trigger? It comes from the will of a fallen person. And ultimately, that first sin came from the will of a person who wasn't even fallen, but had the choice and made the wrong one. And so, I mean, that doesn't answer everything, Yeah. but it does, again. Yeah, everything can be brought back to the gospel, like you said. Exactly. Everything can be brought back. And that's, you know, and then it requires that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of some people they need to, you know, it's like everyone has kind of where they're stuck in their unbelief. And it's really using the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit and being really studied in scripture to understand, oh, okay, this person is having this issue. Let's get to the heart of that. But really, it always needs to come back to the gospel. And just where is that faith? And then understanding the sinful nature. I think that's where obviously that's what keeps people from salvation is just not understanding their desperation, you know, for their need of their savior. Yeah. Wonderful. And have you found that students who, you know, there's kind of this, when you go to look up apologetics online, there's kind of some people who are they're all into it. And then you have on that flip side, other people, oh, you don't need to reason with others. And that's just argumentative. So how would you, if you're someone who's really living kind of an apologist lifestyle and always being quick to defend the faith, how would you then defend to those other believers who want to criticize and critique you for wanting to take that approach instead of, you know, you have some of those people out there who, oh, just dust off your boots and move on. Where to me, it's really apologists. It's like, that's having that humility. And it's like, you just so hope for the soul because you know, wow, God saved me. There's hope for everyone. And you don't want to give up. And so that's how sometimes I've found myself answering others, but they, oh no, that's pointless. Or would you just kind of not even discuss in those conversations with believers who kind of want to critique apologists? Well, in any discussion, it's always helpful in the front, at the front end, to grant what some of their concerns might be that are legitimate. Mm-hmm. So, if, so you might ask them, so are you, are you worried about people being, does it bother you that some people get puffed up and prideful and argumentative? And they say, yeah. So I said, well, you know what? You're right. People shouldn't be puffed up and prideful and argumentative. We should be gracious and kind. So I agree with you there. So I grant you that. But then where do we get our example as to how? So it's not so much being an apologist, it's being a Christian. Mm. So what does the scripture, what does God tell us in his word is to be the focus, of the yeah. modus operandi of the believer? Well, great commission. So we're going out and we're going to reach people for Christ, baptizing them and, and discipling them. We are to like Paul at Mars Hill, we are to reason with them and understand them, listen to them, and then show them and lead them to the rock, lead them to the Savior, lead them to deliverance from their despair and their sin and death and eternal death in hell. So so somebody who says, well, I don't want to be an apologist. 
Well, the question is, do you care about anybody's soul? I mean, do you really want somebody to go to hell? And how are you going to reach them if you don't interact with them? And how are you going to save them if we're born again by the living word of God? It's God's word that transforms us. The spirit of God using the word of God always together. How are we going to reach them if we don't tell them the truth? And if they have issues, how are we going to interact with them if we don't graciously and kindly and lovingly interact with their questions and have sufficient and good answers from scripture? I mean, how can we ask them to accept a worldview that we can't defend? And to accept Christ, we're, we're asking them to jettison their entire worldview and to place their hope and trust in a whole new, in, in Christ, which is to abandon one worldview and adopt another. And that includes everything with respect to God, man, reality, knowledge, truth, authority, and ethics. It's comprehensive. And so it's not just, hey, add Jesus to your life. We are asking them to abandon their life and embrace Christ and accept an entire new life. If we don't think that's important enough to get to know God's word and to get to know the thinking of an unbeliever, then we're not loving unbelievers. We get to know worldview, apologetics, theology, the nature of God, and how he is sufficient to answer every objection. If we don't take that serious, we're not taking the law serious. We're not, take, we're not loving them as we should love them. We're not serious about this. That's really a problem. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm happy, clappy on the weekends, but I don't care about interacting and possibly getting yelled at or hated by an unbeliever. Well, you know, doctors might be disliked for telling somebody that they have cancer and need to go through chemo, but they're quite irresponsible if they don't tell them. And they're quite irresponsible if they don't urge them to take the cure. And what are we doing if we don't care that somebody's on their way to hell and that they're happy in their, on the road to death, and we're not willing to spend an extra hour a day learning how to better reach them and understand them and communicate with them, answer their objections and show them their need of Christ and how God is apart from God. We have nothing and can know nothing. So it's really, so it's really not an issue of trying to take a separate look at apologetics. It's really, how do I be an authentic, loving, caring Christian that emulates Christ it follows in the steps of Christ and the apostles in trying to not in trying to glorify God in my life. And part of glorifying him is glorif- and essentially glorifying Christ and bringing him in his glory face to face with the unbeliever and their object of faith. Now compare your own object of faith, which is your own personal opinion, with our object of faith, which is the infinite creator of the universe who loved us so that he would suffer infinite wrath to purchase us for heaven. Who would you rather trust? And if they want to hate Jesus for being infinitely excellent and good and loving to an infinite extent and suffering eternal wrath, oh, not eternal wrath, but infinite wrath, that they might go to heaven, pretty revealing to their own heart, I would think, and certainly revealing, but my conscience is clear if I've been able to show them that, hey, this is the God we're we're preaching here. He's infinitely excellent and he's infinitely loved. And he's perfectly holy, and he doesn't compromise his justice. And that's why Jesus had to die to pay and satisfy his justice. And he offers you eternal life. So if people get hung up on the word apologetics, I just jettison the word and go to theology or go to what it means to be a believer. Yeah. And that's, that's what it means to be a believer. We're about reaching people for Christ right. and glorifying God. So a long answer. I'm sorry. but No, it's a, no that's a, fine. That's great. Yeah, and then kind of wrapping things up. For the homeschooling family, 
you know, that's what I love about, like you said, it's like apologetics, it's defending the faith, but it's really just being a, a true born again believer in this world and to not get hung up on the, the language necessarily, but that experience especially in this time frame, would you expound a little bit on why there's just such a need, especially in the homeschooling unit to, you know, it's like, for example, a thousand years ago, there just wasn't the knowledge and the wisdom. And even, you know, it's like where we have information at our fingertips, we are learning all the more to where now it's like, I think it's, it's all the more important. And I'm sure that's why God put this course on your heart and these books to write. And you probably see that to where, how would you just really direct um, the homeschooling family to sure that this is something that they're incorporating into their homeschool. Well, as as the Puritans used to say, and as some still say, that you know, the home is should be a little Edward just to say it, it's a little church. I mean it's it's we're raising up these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And if we're so busy making sure they get there and, and I struggle with this because people go for the this is an elective. This isn't a comment about our course, but it's just what we've discovered in talking with others as well. The theology courses are sort of secondary to the main courses of the three R's and da 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 and everything else. And it's you have to do those things and they're important. We understand that, but there's nothing more important than first and foremost getting to know the infinite excellence of the God who created us, on whom we depend, and who redeemed us. And that should be central to anything and everything they do. And if they understand this particular approach to worldview, then every chemistry class and every English class, every class on logic and the nature of government, because I know homeschoolers are big on on that, which is an excellent, you know, the constitutionality of the republic and how that works. Very important. But how worldview undergirds all that is very, very critical. And it's not just Thomas Paine, you know, and humanism and, and other things that they were very steeped in biblical principles, even though some of them didn't accept Christ as Savior. So I think the church model for the home is pretty critical. And the parents need to see themselves as setting the tone as to what the proper priority is and being equipped themselves in order to bring the child into a deeper, greater understanding of God's infinite excellence and not just moral precepts. Getting to know the infinite excellence of God personally through Christ, who revealed his excellence most clearly and pointedly. And that's what we try to do with this course. We try to not make it just so you're intellectually smug and able to answer the questions. You'll be able to answer the questions. We do that. But that is not where we want to go. We want to be like little we're supposed to be like little Christs, and that's that's a high calling. We don't get anywhere near. He's right. infinitely excellent, and we're pathetic, right? But there is, we are to follow his steps, his footsteps of the apostles and the great people of faith before us, you know, the Jonathan Edwards of this day, who people say was intellectually brilliant and yet a picture of humble piety at the mm-hmm. same time. And that's why I'm so, I so love him, because I so lack those things. I just gravitate to him to try and you know, yeah. if I can, and parents need to be doing that with their kids yeah. and they need to be the, you know, the Edwards of the family. They should take their relationship so seriously and understanding that their relationship with God is crucial and foundational mm-hmm. to the heart and soul and the relationship of their kids to God. And yeah. if they don't take it serious, I don't know why they can expect their kids to take it serious apart from the grace of God, and God can work through any mess, as we all know. Right. But that doesn't absolve us from God's 
the use of God's means to bring about his ends. And one of those means is the family and that little church, and it has to be led. Yeah, wonderful. I like that because, yeah, it is. It's just so crucial to even then. And we just, we can't help it almost of the times in which we live. And many homeschoolers, they're either first-time Christians or they're first-time homeschoolers and having to go through all of that. But that really, it's like to shatter the, oh yeah, math, you know, and English is important, but really, no, Bible needs to come first. And then everything else gets added in. So it's not like you said, oh, I'm going to add on, you know, Bible as an elective or studying apologetics as an elective. It's like, no, that should be the foundation. And then everything else can come after. Because when you have that understanding and you're constantly studying and you're just in that state of being in awe of your creator, everything else actually gets easier, you know, where it's like learning the the math, the science, everything else becomes simpler because you have spent so much time, you know, with your savior and studying his ways. So that's one thing I found. I used to hate science growing up. And I feel like I'm learning it from a whole new perspective now as a homeschool mom with a Christian worldview where it's like, oh, no wonder I didn't like it. I was being taught lies and it didn't make any sense to me where now everything in the home can be tailored towards is this really centered on God and then going from there. And even the Bible, you know, it's like that's the authority to go to even for science. And it's a great place to study all the the works of English even. And so really, if we're putting that at the foundational level, and then everything else can be stacked on top of it instead of, oh, no, that comes last. And then it really, you know, can go to show the heart. But I think oftentimes you have new believers, or you just have people that they're following in their curriculum choice or their philosophy. And so they just need to be encouraged and reminded, hey, this is crucial, especially in this day and age, you know, crucial for the family unit to be studying together. So wonderful. Nicely put, better than better than I said it. And 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 wouldn't it be nice if when a child and to your point, when they take physics and they take chemistry, any science course or even logic, and then they get into history and they see history through the eyes of God and providence. But that every scientific theorem or every principle or every axiom supports and builds up their faith. Whereas unbelievers use science as a, as a means to try and attack faith and attack Christianity and, you know, we're flat earthers and all that. When the fact of the matter is science is impossible apart from God, apart from God organizing and sustaining the universe, and that every law of physics is God upholding his creation by his infinite power. And so, and so these courses, rather than leading somebody astray, should be the very things that build up their faith in every scientific discovery, every picture beauty of a flower or a biology class right. amazing fearfully and wonderfully made you know from the rat to the cat to the mom and dad amazing well if they're learning to view things rightly from a young age then anything and everything they learn of god's beautiful universe becomes becomes a catalyst to praise and worship as well as a boost to faith well, wouldn't it be nice to have learned that from the age of two or three rather than having finally come around at 25 or four, whatever it is when we get saved? Right. I mean, what a difference that would make. Yeah, and parents have that opportunity. And I just we just our prayer is that they take advantage, whether it's ours or somebody else's. We happen to believe this. We believe in what we do. That's why we did it. Everybody believes in what they do because that's why they did it, usually. Yeah. But at a minimum, take their faith serious and dig in as best they can 
And yeah, I, your point is very well stated and very well put. I agree with it wholeheartedly. So. Yeah, and so as we wrap up, I just want to encourage our listeners that it's never too late, you know, that if you have children who are in homeschool or even out of the home and are young college students, it's never too late. You know, God is so good at redeeming and to not get caught up. Oh, I, I wish I would have started younger. Or if you do have, you know, even babies and toddlers, now's the time to start, but it's never too late. And so just to be encouraged and to go and check out Pilgrim's Rock, I'll put the links in the show notes so you can be sure to check out the books and the course and see if it is something that will help your family. And you can reach out to Pilgrim's Rock for questions and also myself. So I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Thank you, Craig, for being with us. Well, enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Mina. It's an honor and a blessing. Thank you. So that's it for today. Make sure you subscribe, leave a comment if you've enjoyed today's episode, and be sure to check out homeschoolmusings.com to get your free homeschool resources. Happy homeschooling! Happy homeschooling!